0: Welcome to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs from Steadfast Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we show high-level executives and business owners why comprehensive financial planning and executive bonus structures don't have to be too good to be true. Keith draws on his experience in realistic financial planning, and expert guests share his two cents about academically-based financial planning that you have to hear to believe. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome back to the My Two Cents podcast with Keith Beggs of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. I'm Patrice Sakura. To say the investment environment is volatile right now is a bit of an understatement. Now, in this episode, Keith discusses five mistakes you may be making as an investor. Keith, looking at your list here, you've got number one, fleeing to cash. But isn't that a classic response to uncertainty in the market?
2: Yes, Patrice, fleeing to cash were, is, a, is a classic response to fear, and it always has been a classic response to fear, right? To get everything you have together and, and keep it you know, under your mattress or, or buried in the backyard, they might say. And I want to kind of talk to you briefly about why there's so much fear right now. Gen- if we're just looking at the, at the general state of the economy, the average unemployment from 1948 to 2020 was about 5.6%. And then... September 2019, we had it down to 3.5. And then in April of this year, it was up to 14.7. That's a 400% increase almost in unemployment um, in about a six-month time span. And we've got it down now to about 10.2. That was the number of July. I think it came down a little bit uh, less um, with the recent numbers that just came out. But when you have an economy that is in flux and a pandemic will put an economy in flux, people tend to respond to that with fear. And the natural response of fear is to just gather my assets, hold on to what I have, mm-hmm. and make sure that I stay there. But I, I don't think that's always the, the right response. I'll tell you, the Wall Street Journal published an article not too long ago. I think it was in August, and said that investors are sitting on the biggest pile of cash ever, right? There is more cash out there than ever. Right now, there's over $5 trillion in new money or total, excuse me, in total money and money markets. So $5 trillion wow. right now of people that are sitting in cash. So And let's just make a,
1: a distinction there. Money markets, this is, as you say, it is cash. It is not stocks, ETFs, or anything like that. Your cash is right there.
2: Correct. That's what a money market is. You're just sitting in cash, the ability to go into anything else that you might want to or or, or take the money out anytime that you please. So I want to put this in context. And to do that, I'm just going to use um, World War II, Right. Because I think World War II was a, was a time of pandemic. Not, not pandemic, but it, uh, it, it was definitely a time of uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of craziness going on. And I think one of the concerns with, with this pandemic was the number of people that could possibly die and how, how that would affect us. And if we go back and we look at World War II, and we look from 1939 to 1945, over 75 million people died during that time period. Now, I want to ask you, Patrice, how do you think the market or the S&P did during that time period? What would just be your natural inclination? We're in the middle of a world war, right? What do you think the natural inclination, what do you think the market was like during that time period?
1: Oh, I would say it probably didn't do much of anything.
2: Right. That, that's, that's obviously what everyone possibly pro- probably thinks. In actuality, the market went up over 106% during those six years. Mm-hmm. So it went up over an average of 12.7% a year. But powered it, by what? That's a great question. That's a great question. Trying to predict short-term market movements is an unexact science, right? Short-term market movements are random and unpredictable. You can't predict what the market's gonna do in the short term and trying to do so will get you in trouble and a lot of times will cause you to miss large market jumps. So if you look back at different markets response to crisis and we just kind of put this into contact and let's just say that we had a very balanced portfolio we had 60% stocks and 40% bonds. That's a very balanced portfolio. A lot of people have something very similar to that. And you look at the October crash of 87. Over the next five years, the market was up where your balance would have been up 76%. Uh, Let's jump forward to September 21, the terrorist attacks. Over the next five years, your portfolio would have been up 81%. Let's go to September 2008, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers. Over the next five years, Your account would have been up over 47%. So the market responds well to crisis. And there's a huge, huge wealth transfer during these time periods from the people that have built the portfolio that can withstand the pandemic or the crisis and from the people that don't know what their portfolio is built to do and automatically run the cash out of fear. And when they do that and the market jumps up, there's a huge, huge wealth transfer. So You've got to have a portfolio that's built to withstand pandemics or crisis or whatever you may want to call it. And you got to know what your bottom is, right? What your worst case scenarios are so that you don't have to panic in these time periods. And when these wealth transfers happens, we're not sitting on the sideline in cash or involved in the market. And we're the ones that their wealth is being transferred to. So you've got to have a balanced portfolio and you've got to rebalance during a pandemic. And be ready for the bounce backs because the market has shown going all the way back to World War II that it always responds well is coming responds well, excuse me, coming out of crisis.
1: So now you've got your cash. Is it too late to respond yourself or should you wait?
2: It's never too late to respond. The best time to be in the market is always right now. So timing the market is a, a fool's a fool's errand, a fool you know, it's fool's gold, right? You right. can't time the market, right? It, it, you just can't do it. You need to decide if you want to be in the market. And once you decide that you want to be in the market, you need to build the right balance of portfolio, whether that's stocks, bonds, stocks, bonds, annuities, whatever that is, you need to build that balance that you need to have. And then you need to rebalance. If stocks have a major run-up, then you need to rebalance and always keep your range of reality in check and always keep your balance where you want it to be, your portfolio pie in the right chart, right? Whether it's 60-40 or 50-50, whatever that is, you need to build that and you need to always look at it and evaluate it, right? You may decide to be more aggressive later on or less aggressive based on age and different life circumstances, but you need to do that and then you need to stick with it and you need to rebalance as you move forward.
1: I think that rebalancing is an excellent point. Why don't you explain why you need to do that?
2: Right. So if you don't rebalance and you build a portfolio, let's say it's 60-40, like we were talking about earlier in our worst case scenario in that portfolio, maybe a 20% drop, right? And these, I'm, I'm do, using hypothetical numbers mm-hmm. here just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Well, if equities or stocks have a major run up and now 75% of my money is in equities, I don't no longer have a 20% worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I now have maybe a 33% worst case scenario. And if I don't realize that and that worst case scenario happens, I'm going to tend to do what we just talked about, and I'm going to run the cash, and I'm going to lock in those losses, and I'll never be able to get those back. So to keep your range of reality, where your portfolio, where you want it to be, you need to rebalance. That's also the only way you make you lock in your earnings. You have paper gains and paper losses in the market unless you buy or sell. And the only way to lock in those earnings is when the market moves up, is to sell off some of what's good and buy what's underperforming. Right? That's the whole buy uh, sell high, buy low strategy.
1: All right. You don't look like you uh, are in favor of large U.S. stocks here on your list. Your number two is loading up on large U.S. stocks. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so we're not against large U.S. stocks, right? Um, we, we definitely hold those in our portfolio. We think you should hold all different market segments in our portfolio. But we tend to see what happens is right now is people are loading up on large U.S. stocks, and we kind of call it herding bias. That's the phenomenon where investors follow what the perceived other investors are doing rather than use their own analysis, right? So the S&P has been on a great run these last five or six years. And so everyone's kind of seeing um, what that's done and they're wondering why they didn't have more in large U.S. stocks and they're kind of running to what's already happened. So typically what we find is by the time you realize that large U.S. stocks in this case scenario are doing really well, we've maybe probably missed the big movement, right? And we're getting in behind the big movement. If you go back, And you look, and we kind of call it the tech and the S&P 500 trap. Um, And if you went back to 1995 to the year 2000, the S&P had an annualized rate of return of over 27%. That's a huge number. That's 27% every year compounding that you were getting from 95 to 2000. I'd like that in my portfolio now. Right. (laughs) And when most people realize that around 98, 99, we're on the tail end of it. Right, and then from the year 2000 to the year 2013, the S&P set stagnant. Meaning, if you whatever you had in January of 2000 is the same value you had in January of 2013, that is a huge time frame to mm-hmm. sit stagnant. And a lot of people got out, but they got out after probably one of the big drops, so they got in late and they got out early. And we're kind of seeing a repeat of that here. Uh, if you look back to around 2014, 15, to where we are now, the S&P has just been. On a moonshot, I mean, the, the the graph, if you look at the graph line, it's going straight up. And we tend to see history repeating itself with these things, right? If you indexes, they don't continue to win, win, win every year, right? Right. Different indexes, different market segments bounce around at being the best performer. And so if you are always chasing the top performing index, you're never going to be in the top performing index because you're going to always be behind it. And so we kind of see that right now. We see a lot of people running the large U.S. stocks. Um, They hear all the news about Apple on TV, and they think, I got to be in all large U.S. That's where everything is. The media is kind of saying all the the big companies are doing really well. But what we're seeing in in our mind is a repeat of history. And what we believe, as always, is you need to build a balanced portfolio. You need to be well diversified over all market segments. And then you need to rebalance as returns happen.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. How about international markets and emerging markets?
2: Yeah, so with the pandemic and everything going on right now, international and emerging markets have not had a great couple of years, right? And that's okay. You can't expect every index to always be above um, what you expect it to be or outperforming it, its its goals. But we we prescribe over here to what's called modern portfolio theory, and that is a financial theory that attempts to maximize portfolio return for a given amount of risk. So, based on how much risk I'm willing to take, what should be my expected return? Does that make sense? It does. It does. So, to do that, you have to be in international and emerging market stocks. You cannot ag- ignore certain market segments and build a balanced portfolio based on modern portfolio theory and have a a, a range of reality where that's that's what we consider efficient. Otherwise, you're trying to pick the winners and losers, right? If you're avoiding certain market segments then you were trying to pick the winners and losers of the market and again we just don't believe that that's a, a sustainable way to build a portfolio especially as you're moving closer to retirement so
1: do US investors tend to avoid international markets um
2: yes as a whole yes i think you i think financial advisors in the in the US tend to avoid international markets or if they do go in international markets they're very specific they might choose a little bit of europe and maybe China but they really never get into the emerging markets uh, and, and different companies are out there it's a difficult conversation to have talking about all these different countries and you know and how all these things work and, and how they all you know you get into you start talking about correlated and non correlated assets and you know and all of that stuff it, it, it's a much more difficult conversation to have um, whereas if you can just use the S&P 500 I think that's a lot of people understand that better yeah. but I think you're doing your clients a disservice If you're not taking advantage of these other market segments out there, because emerging markets, if you go look, will have some of the biggest years that you can have. You're starting from nothing, right? They're an emerging market. Um, They have the best growth potential of of anything that's out there. So you got to take advantage of them. They're also non-correlated to what's going on in the U.S. a lot of times, and we need non-correlated assets. We don't want all of our money moving in the same direction at the same time. Even if it's up? (laughs) Right? You would say that, right? But you don't. You can move up at different at different stages, right? But yeah, if you go back, um, if you look at a, a returns of different indexes over time, they're all over the place. And if all your assets correlate together, um, then you're going to be set up to have some really, really, really bad years. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really, really hard to bounce back from, especially when you start getting closer to retirement and you start needing this money for income. It's a lot harder to bounce back from a negative year. If you lose 20% in the market, you got to make 25% to get back to even. So it's the opposite of compound. You know, the, the advantage of a compound and returning, right? It's it's, it's kind of the, the black eye of that. If you lose 20, you got to make yeah. 25. If you lose 50, you got to make 100. And if you start taking withdrawals out of that, it becomes very difficult to do. So we don't want all our assets correlated together. We definitely need to be using all, all countries that are out there. Just to give you an example, our investors are in 85 different countries. So, the companies we own are in 85 different countries. Um, we own over 26,000 companies worldwide. So, we truly believe in that theory and, and true diversity for our clients. Now, you've been
1: talking mostly about stocks right now and diversity with stocks. What about, especially as you get closer to retirement, diversity in your portfolio and bonds?
2: Yeah. So, bonds are typically used to lower the amount of risk or volatility. In your portfolio right and to give you an opportunity to have some place to get cash out of if the market's negative and then again just to over to lower the overall volatility or risk that you have in your portfolio what we tend to see in times like this is people running to more long-term bonds so they start buying five, 10, 20 year bonds because they see they they're expecting a higher rate of return mm-hmm. in that number and if you go back and you look, and again, you know, we, we go back and look at data historically, if you go back to 1964 to 2019, when you're looking at bonds, and you're looking at the yield curve, the expected risk for the amount of return you're getting in the bond market on anything after five years is really negative. So you're taking much more risk when you get over uh, the five-year term, term limit in a bond, and you're not getting rewarded for that in terms of returns. Right? So again, we go back to that that market theory. I want to be rewarded for the risk that I'm taking. I want to make sure that I'm getting a substantial amount of return for the risk that I'm taking. And once we get out past five years, we don't see that correlation. We see a negative correlation between risk and return. I'm taking on way more risk for the amount of return that I'm getting. In all actuality, I'd be better just off, off in stocks than I would be in long-term bonds.
1: But then you don't have the, the balance that you were just talking about.
2: Well... I don't think long-term bonds give you that balance. That okay, that's, got that, it. that would be the key point. Once you get out on that past that 5-year mark, I don't think you're getting the balance that you that you were trying to get in uh, that you were from the outset. I think you're taking on a ton of undue risk, right? And, and so now I'm almost the risk level is that of securities, but the return level isn't that, mm-hmm. that of securities. Right. Historically speaking, right, when you get out into the, the 10, 15, 20 year bond market, you're, you're taking on the same amount of risk as you would be if you just went and put went back into stocks. But your upside potential is substantially less than it would be in that regard.
1: All right. How about high yield bonds?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people will go to high yield bonds. That's another thing that, you, that you'll see happen a lot, of, uh, a lot of times in these type of pandemics or crises. Again, if you go back and look from 87 to 2019, if you look over those average eight. Those eight crashes that we had, the S&P 500 during those crashes had a negative return of about 18.4%. High yield bonds had a negative return of 8%. Hmm. High quality bonds was plus 7%. What we would say is go buy high quality bonds, not high yield bonds. In a time like this, if you want to move to bond, I would buy short term one, three, five year bonds and I'd buy high quality. I would not be buying high yield. If, if that's kind of where you're running to. How, how
1: would you define high quality?
2: Triple <clears throat> A rated.
1: Okay.
2: Um, so if I was going to be looking at bonds, I'll be looking at, at nothing less than the A rated, double A rated or triple A rated bond. Um, I would not be buying anything lower than that. <clears throat> and that's typically where you find the high yield, right? Same thing, just to give the listener something related to, if you go to get a mortgage, they look at your credit score right and the lower your credit score is the higher interest rate that you're going to pay because you're of greater risk so they want a higher yield for the amount of risk that they're taking on same thing in the bond market right the lower grade the bond has the higher yield it's going to pay because there's more risk there and what we have found is there's more risk there because over time they lose money those companies aren't sustainable enough um, they don't work out like they say they're going to do what they're supposed to do on paper. And typically the client still loses money in those types of assets. So again, we've got less than expected returns that we could have had in the market, which is why we were in bonds in the first place and we're still losing money. We never want to be losing money in our bond account like that.
1: Especially when you're getting close to retirement or you're in retirement.
2: Right. The people that are worried about these things or the people that make mistakes in this time period have not done a risk assessment on their portfolio probably in a long time right? They've never done a risk assessment or a risk analysis. First of all, Um, you can't do a risk assessment on your portfolio until you've done a personal risk analysis and you need to go through and you need to answer um, some questions. And you can do that with your advisor or you could contact us and we could run you through one and you need to find out what your risk analysis is. How much risk are you comfortable with? And uh, what we find is we have these big run-ups in the market. People tend to keep getting more and more aggressive because they feel like they're missing out on returns, but they're one bad day away from panicking. And running the other way and losing all that all that money that they made and, and, and locking in those losses. So, for the typical investor, you need to do a risk assessment to find out kind of what your appetite for risk is. Right, what type of rewards, uh, more returns, do you need in your in your portfolio? And then you need to do a risk analysis and find out does your portfolio match up right. with your personal risk assessment? And if not, why not? And I would be
1: I would not be surprised if most investors find out that they're not as open to risk as they think they are
2: correct correct most investors when you do a risk assessment with them are way more conservative than their portfolio says they are and they, most of them are expecting a rate of return in their portfolio that they could get with the safer on balance or you know analysis as well right. right most people are way overextended in terms of the amount of risk that they're taking i would say they're kind of out over their skis to use an analogy and they're one false step from crashing and losing their retirement. We've also found most people don't need um, these major, major return years to sustain the retirement that they're looking for. And so they're taking all this undue risk and they might have some really good years, but I don't know too many people in retirement that change their lifestyle because Hmm. of a a, a quality year of returns. Give you an example. Most people wanna sustain their retirement, right? They wanna sustain their lifestyle in retirement. If they have a 25 or 30% return, none of my clients have ever went out and started living a more expensive lifestyle because <laughs> they had more money all of a sudden, right? They've been living the same lifestyle for 20, 25, 30 years. They're not ex- now buying different clothes or shoes or different restaurants because they had a good return year. Now, I have met with clients who've had a very negative year because they were that far out in their, you know, in their portfolio, and now they're having to change their lifestyle because they don't have the money to sustain it anymore. That's
1: not a place right. that I think anybody
2: wants to be. Correct. And so I would tell most people they need to do a risk assessment analysis, and then they need to do a portfolio analysis, and they need to make sure that those line up.
1: And if they want to get in touch with you to talk about that, how can they reach you?
2: Yeah, so they can reach us a couple of different ways. They can go on our website uh, at steadfastws.com. Steadfast is S-T-E-A-D-F-A-S-T. Uh, they can call us at 832-506-9034, or they can email me directly, keith at steadfastws.com.
1: And that is Keith Beggs of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. To subscribe to all upcoming episodes of Keith's podcast, My Two Cents, use the subscribe button on this page, and you can also share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sakora, and let's talk again later.
0: Thank you for listening to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All securities discussed are offered and provided through Steadfast Financial Planning, LLC. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and or qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.